Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am flying solo on our Hate Week edition of the Listener Mailbag. It's Hate Week, but it's also Thanksgiving week, which means people are traveling around the country, doing family things, all that fun stuff. And Charlie falls into that category today as she's out on the road traveling. And we wanted to get this episode out today to stay on track with our normal schedule. So what that means is that you guys have me today. Charlie will definitely be back for our Picks of the Week episode at the end of the week, as she is each and every week during the regular season. But for today, you've got me. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to make it through the show without the superstar of the podcast. I'm honestly not sure how I'm going to do it, but... I'm going to give it my best shot. Got to dig deep, and we're going to make it happen today. But before we get to all of your questions, do have just a couple quick reminders for you. Our podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Alumni Hall. They're going to have a bunch of awesome Black Friday deals going on all week, so make sure to check them out online at alumnihall.com or in person. It's even better if you can make it in person here to the Classic City, and that's inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center just off Epps Bridge Parkway, heading out towards the Oconee Connector. If you listen to this podcast, I know you have a bunch of Georgia people in your circle, a bunch of loved ones who are Georgia fans as well, and there's no better place to do your Christmas shopping for all those people in your life than Alumni Hall. They've got all the brands you could ever imagine, the best selection of brands, accessories, clothing, whatever it is you're trying to buy. Trust me, guys, Alumni Hall has what you want. And they have it at the best prices with the best deals, the best customer service. It really is a no-brainer when you're looking to buy any Georgia gear or accessories. So check them out today. Also, hey, if you spend some money, drop some cash there for the holiday season. You're going to earn credits towards future purchases with their Hall Pass Rewards Program. If you're a college student, a UGA student, or a military veteran, you get 10% off every single time you purchase. doesn't matter what day of the year it is. That's always good. So make sure you shop with them today, again, online at alumnihall.com or inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in Athens. But all right, guys, let's go ahead and dig right into the questions today. We got a ton of good ones. You guys really do. You never let us down. You always bring the heat with these questions. And today is no exception. End of the season or not, you guys are always bringing the goods and we're going to get to a bunch of good ones here today. I think we, we tried to list as many of them as we possibly could. I think we got most of them. 
These questions come in hot. We get them from all angles. We get them from Twitter, Instagram, email, anything and everything out there. We get a bunch of questions. So I try to hit every single one that we can. Obviously, we we can't cover every question that we get sent every week because we get sent about 50 plus questions. And we just try to spread the love about as much as we possibly can. Try to throw some love out there to different people. I know sometimes we have uh, awesome listeners who send us in multiple questions, which is fantastic. So if that's the case, we have a lot of other people that are sending questions as well. We try to just give each listener one question as much as we can and kind of, again, spread that love out there. So if we dig into your question, I apologize. There certainly could be some oversights there. Sometimes the questions get sent in like just after we sit down to record. But if I missed it, I will certainly try to circle back and bring those into a future mailbag episode or just answer them, respond to you guys there on social media or email, whatever it might be. So I just want to put that out there because I know... Uh, I feel bad. I always feel bad because we get, we get sent in so many awesome questions and we want to answer every single one of them on the podcast, but we just don't have time. You guys know, as Charlie gives me a hard time all the time, I, I get pretty long-winded with some of these questions because it's uh, important to me. I care. I am not lying to you guys when I tell you that this is what I live for. So yeah, I know sometimes I can go on a little bit about each and every question we get sent, but I also want to make sure to give you your just due when you're sent, when you send us in a question. I don't want to just give you like 20 seconds and be like, okay, on, on to the next question. So that's why we can't necessarily always include every question because the show would be about seven hours long. And I don't have time for that. And I know you don't have time to sit here and listen to that as well. But all right, anyway, let's go ahead and get to these questions. And we've got um, some good questions here to start us off with about the college football playoff. I know we're not there yet. All right, knock on wood, we are not there yet. We are in very good position. We are in as good position, actually better position than anyone in the country. But there's still some work to do ahead of us here. So we got some questions. I do want to address these questions. I think they're really important because we're getting close. We're getting close to this point. And we're going to start off with a question from Sam, who's been a, who's been a listener for a couple years now. If you guys don't follow Sam's account on Instagram, it's George CFB. I'm sure a lot of you have already started following. We've given some, them some shout-outs in the past, but it's by far the best Instagram account for all your Georgia football needs. But Sam sends a great question here, man. This is one that I've been, um, I'm not going to lie, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's been on my mind. I'm concerned. You guys, if you listen to the show, you know I'm by nature concerned and anxious when it comes to Georgia football. It's it's what our good friend Josh calls old Georgia syndrome. I am like the poster child for that. I'm in recovery. I'm getting better. I'm improving, but I'm not all the way there yet. So when you look down the road, obviously we have Georgia Tech this week. We have a big matchup, a couple weeks now, Alabama in the SEC championship game. There's still work to be done. And if we, God forbid, happen to slip up somewhere, I have some concerns. And so what Sam asked is, do you think we're a playoff lock no matter what, even if we lose to Bama by double digits somehow and finish 12-1? and one? And this is, again, something that I have been worried about. And I've, tr- I've tried to do a better job, just not even just with Georgia football, but just in life in general of, of like not worrying about things that haven't happened yet. Like, let's wait for them to actually happen before we start worrying about it. Control what you can control and don't make a problem until it's actually a problem. So I'm not worried about this as much as I would have been, you know, three, four, five years ago. But again, I would be lying to you if 
I told you that I wasn't at least slightly concerned there. I am. I am. I think we need to win out. Uh, look, there's certainly a chance that we could get in if we finish 12-1. and Yeah, absolutely. There's a chance that we could get in if we finish 12-1 and with a loss to Alabama, even if we lose to Alabama by two-plus two scores. I think there's still a very good chance we could get in because we're number one right now. That gives us some equity there. But here's the thing. I have absolutely zero faith in the college football playoff committee. I have zero faith in them to do the right thing and put us in even if we lose significantly to Alabama. I'll just believe it when I see it. I am still scarred. I'm still traumatized, I guess you could say, by 2018, 2019. I know a lot of people would say, well, Georgia had a chance to play themselves in. They just would have won the SEC championship game, beat Mama, don't blow that game, beat LSU in 2019. Win and you're in. It's a de facto quarterfinal game, right? Well, I don't buy that argument. Why is that a quarterfinal game? It's just one more data point on the resume, right? Now, I know it's a big data point because it's a conference championship game, but the idea that that's a play-in game, if you lose, you're out. If you win, you're in. Like, I've never quite bought that, especially when you're talking about the SEC, which is clearly the best conference for college football anywhere in the country. And you're talking about Georgia playing Alabama, who went to the national championship game that year, and playing a historically good LSU football team, just because we lost those games that now we're out. Oh, but then there's that one year in 2017 when Alabama didn't even win their division, didn't even play in the SEC championship game, and still somehow found their way in the college football playoff. They just do whatever they want to. I guess, hey, they're given the charge to do that. They're given that power. Do what you want, guys. But there's no rhyme or reason. There's no logic to it. They basically just have in their mind who they want to put in there, and they just manipulate the data and the numbers and say whatever they want to say to justify putting those four teams in. And I just... I. I think it's inherently flawed and I have zero, zero, zero faith in them to get it right. I mean, we got punished guys. We got punished in 2018 and 2019 because we played in the SEC and Oklahoma had the good fortune of playing the Big 12. That's what it came down to. We both had one loss going into the game. We ended up losing the SEC championship game to, again, a team in Alabama in 2018 that ends up going to play for the national title and a historically good LSU team in 2019 that, oh, yeah, did end up winning the national title. We happen to lose those games. Yeah, we lost them. That that sucks, and that's on us. We lost those games. But Oklahoma sits there and gets rewarded for playing in a joke of a conference in the Big 12, and they just waltz their way to a victory in the Big 12 title game and find themselves the four seeding college football playoff one spot ahead of Georgia. Both years, both times. And I'm not saying Oklahoma wasn't a good team both years. They were a good team. But we were ranked ahead of them in both seasons. If I remember correctly, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong there, but if I remember correctly, we were ranked ahead of Oklahoma going into the conference title games in both 2018 and 2019. So clearly going into that final week of the season, I guess the first week of the postseason, whatever you want to call it, conference championship week, the playoff committee thought we were better than Oklahoma. What happened that week to change their minds to convince them that Oklahoma was better than us? Because that's what the charge is. They are told to select the four best teams. There's always this debate. Is it most deserving teams or is it the best teams? And people go back and forth on that. But what the committee is told, if you look at their bylaws and what they're told and the criteria, it's the four best teams. And however you want to define that, you can define that. But they thought we were better than Oklahoma going in the into that championship week, both 2018, 2019, we lose to Alabama, we lose to LSU, and they, what, they beat Baylor, beat Texas, I think, in, in those years, and they find themselves in the cultural playoff because they had a much easier conference title game. We got punished because we had to play two elite teams in 2018, 2019. 
Just because we lost to Alabama, just because we lost to LSU 2019, does not mean that we weren't still better than Oklahoma. We still were better than Oklahoma, but they put this premium on conference championships, and that's what concerns me right here. They put a premium on conference championships, and that's part of their criteria. And if you look at what they've done historically, they really do put a premium on conference championships, especially if they see it as equal between two teams, like who's most deserving, so on and so forth, who's the best team, whatever it might be. So and that's that's why, in this case, I would be concerned. I am concerned if we lose to Alabama and we don't win our conference title, we better be careful because the committee has shown in the past that they will jump teams that lose their conference talking. Well, they've shown they'll jump SEC teams if your name is Georgia, if you lose the SEC championship game to a team that's a true national title contender. We've simply seen that story before and not just once. We've seen it multiple times at this point. So I think we would be foolish to not be concerned that if we lose to Alabama, especially if we lose to Alabama badly and it's a couple of scores, I hope to God that doesn't happen. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's certainly somewhere out there in the realm of possibility. I think you'd be crazy to not be concerned right now based off how the committee has acted in the past. And let's dive a little deeper here. Let's look at this year specifically. All right, so let's say that we, you know, God forbid again, let's say for the purpose of this question, we do lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Let's say we beat Tech, we go undefeated in the regular season, we go into the SEC championship game, the number one team in the country, and we somehow lose to Alabama. Let's say we lose by two plus scores, as Sam says in his question. Well, then who's in that case? I think Alabama, if they beat Auburn they, and they beat us in the SEC championship game, they're going to be the number one team in the country. Then you're going to have, if Cincinnati goes undefeated, which right now I think the odds are they probably will, right? I think they have East Carolina, a 7-5 East Carolina team this week, and they have Houston in the, in the American championship game. All right, so Houston's a pretty good team. They're 10-1 right now. I still would say Cincinnati wins that game. If Cincinnati goes undefeated, they're sitting right now, they're sitting at number five. With Oregon losing on Saturday, Cincinnati, I think this week, my prediction is they will be in the cultural playoff top four. I think they'll be in at number four. I think what you'll see this week is Georgia one, Bama two, although I wouldn't be shocked to see Ohio State jump Bama this week because now or the pesky Oregon situation's out now. They don't have to worry about that. Oregon, yeah, they beat Ohio State. Now they've got two losses. So I wouldn't be shocked with how badly Ohio State beat Michigan State, who was still ranked inside the playoff committee's top 10. I would not be shocked to see Ohio State jump Bama, especially how Bama kind of semi-struggled a little bit. At least the final score was closer than it probably should have been against Arkansas. So I might say Georgia 1, Ohio State 2, Bama 3. And I think Cincinnati slides in there from number 5 to number 4 this week. So if Cincinnati goes undefeated, they're not just going to drop them out if they're already in the, in the top four, in my opinion. So I think Cincinnati's going to be in if they go undefeated. I think Alabama's going to be in if they beat us. And I think the winner of Ohio State-Michigan, assuming they win the Big Ten Championship game, probably against Wisconsin at this point, they're going to be in. So that means you've got one spot left because that means you got Alabama, you got Ohio State slash Michigan, whoever wins that game, and Cincinnati. Those three teams, I believe, would be in in that scenario if we lose to Alabama. And that means you got one spot left. And that you're looking at an Oklahoma State team right now that's 10 and 1. They got a big game against Oklahoma this week. If they're able to beat Oklahoma in Bedlam and then they win the Big 12 title game, I probably think it would probably be right now against Baylor because Baylor beat Oklahoma head up. So it would be Oklahoma State, Baylor. Oklahoma State's already beaten Baylor once. If they beat Oklahoma th this week and they beat Baylor for the second time in the Big 12 title game, watch out for Oklahoma State. Nobody's talking about them right now. I mean, I know they're number nine as we sit here right now, but they could certainly move up 
pretty quickly with a couple of big wins there. And let's say Oklahoma. I mean, I know they're number 13 right now. I don't think they can jump all the way back up from number 13. But let's say they beat Oklahoma State on the road this week and they go and they win the Big 12 title again. They probably have to beat Oklahoma State again, I think, in that scenario. So I wouldn't completely write them off. I think it's that'd be a really tough thing for the committee to do to move them from 13 all the way into the top four in just a, a matter of a couple of weeks. But I guess it's possible. But if it's Oklahoma State... I think watch out for them. Notre Dame, guys, is going to go 11-1. They are not going to lose to Stanford this week. Now, they have no conference championship game, so that's one less data point for them. They don't really have any big wins. Their loss is a good loss. They lost Cincinnati at home, who I think is going to be a top-four team. But who have they really beat? They don't really have those marquee wins right now. So I think that hurts them. But still, they're sitting right. They're number eight right now. They're going to move up to number six at least this week with Oregon and Michigan State falling out. So they're going to be right there knocking the door. So you basically, that, that final spot, you're looking at Georgia, a one-loss Georgia team with a loss to Alabama, who I think would be the number one team in the, in the country at that point. In the SEC championship game, you know, Oklahoma State, who could be a one-loss Big 12 champion. And then Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame will get in because, again, they don't have a conference champion or conference championship game. They don't have the extra data point. They don't have any great wins. Oklahoma State is the one that concerns me. I know that sounds crazy. Oklahoma State is the one that concerns me right now because, again, let's go back and look at past history, 2018, 2019. We got left out of the college playoff because we lost the SEC championship game to an elite team, which opened up the door for the college playoff committee to allow a one-loss Big 12 champion to leapfrog us and jump us. Now, Oklahoma State's in at number nine right now. They'll probably be, what, number seven this week. We're number one. So there's a pretty sizable gap there. And Oklahoma State, they've been really good. They've been dominating teams the way that we've been dominating teams. you got to say that. But, I mean, if, if they beat Oklahoma in Bedlam and they win the Big 12 title game, beat Baylor for a second time, Baylor's about to be a top-10 team again, that is a team to watch out for. That concerns me. Again, the precedent has already been established. They put a premium on conference championships and it concerns me. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying like freak out, lose your minds now. We have to be Bama and there's, or there's no chance we get in. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's not as much of a lock as a lot of people in the Georgia fan base think right now. I, I, th I think the general assumption is, hey, if we beat Tech and we don't screw that game up, we go undefeated in the regular season, and even if we lose to Alabama, who's number two, might be bumped down to number three this week, but still in, in the top four, that we're still going to be in because we're such a clear number one. We'll still sneak in there as maybe the four seed. And I think that's the most likely thing that would happen. I, and I want to believe that's what would happen. But I also don't think it's a lock. I do not think it's a done deal. Again, as I laid out, based off the committee's past history. And just the fact that we're Georgia and things like this tend to happen to us. All right, next question. We're going to stick with the playoff theme right now. This is from Ellie. It's another good playoff question. We kind of touched on this a little bit, I think, last week, but we'll certainly do a little bit more directly here on the show today. So Elliot asked, looking down the road a few weeks, if Georgia were to continue to win and make it to the college playoff, which teams would you most and least want to be matched up with in the semifinals? This is a really good question. Uh, I think based off what we've seen over the past really – half of the season, you know, the back half of the season, Ohio State has been really, really good on offense. They've been scared good on offense. Now, defensively, there's still some holes there. They're not great on defense. I know they just shut out Michigan State, essentially. I mean, I guess a touchdown, but they shut them down. And there are some really talented players on Ohio State defense. That's what I've been saying all along. It's like, you know, their numbers aren't good, but 
they have a lot of talent and that talent could click at any moment. Kind of reminds me in some ways of like that 2019 LSU defense where Early in the year, they struggled some. They were not playing up for their capabilities. But you got towards the later part of the season, they really started to click. Things kind of fit together for them, and they were playing lights out. It's like a totally different defense the back half of that year in 2019 for LSU. And I hope that doesn't happen for Ohio State because if that does, then that's super scary. But right now, their offense, I think, is the best offense in the country. It is the offense I think will give us the most issues. And that is a team that I least want to play. I think what I said last week is I'm not scared to play Ohio State. I'm not. I am not scared to play anybody. But if you're asking me the team that I least want to play, the team I think would give us the biggest problem, I think it would be Ohio State. They just have so many weapons on offense. I mean, three receivers that are studs. I mean, they don't have one. They don't have two. They have three. Jackson Smith and Jigba is actually the guy who's leading the team in receiving right now. And most people thought coming the year that he would be like their third option. You still have Garrett Wilson, who's missed a game or two. You still have Chris Olave. C.J. Stroud is a young quarterback still, and he's obviously putting up big numbers. I think he might have won himself the Heisman Trophy with the numbers that he put up against Michigan State, which is crazy because the idea that C.J. Stroud is the best player in America is insane to me, but we know what that award is. It's a quarterback award for the guy who puts up the biggest stats, the biggest numbers on a national and championship contending team, which Ohio State is. And in a year where we haven't really had those like Heisman moments, he kind of had a Heisman moment on Saturday against Michigan State. So it certainly would not shock me to see him win the Heisman Trophy. He might even be the front runner right now, but he's still a young guy. And I, I think that we could give him some issues. And we've seen at times throughout this year where he hasn't been perfect, where he's kind of been a young quarterback. He's been a freshman quarterback. And I think if we get into that kind of setting, that kind of game, hopefully that could help us there. But then you got Travion Henderson at running back. That guy is awesome. They just got weapons and weapons and weapons on offense and really good talent on defense too. It hasn't all been put together, hasn't all clicked all year, but they're really talented that side of the ball. I think that would be the biggest challenge for our defense. And that's why I will strongly be rooting for the maize in blue on Saturday. I'm going to be a big Michigan fan on Saturday because I just don't want to play Ohio State. Again, not scared. I just want what's best for Georgia. And I don't think playing Ohio State is what's best for Georgia if that was the potential matchup in the college football playoff semifinals. The team that I would most want to play, and look, I mean, we're talking about teams that are that are contending, right? Teams that are right there that could be in the college football playoff, that are in that, are in that conversation. The team that I'd most want to play is Cincinnati. I mean, I, I don't love the fact that we played them last year. There's a little bit of familiarity there with for them against us, but you can say the same for us as well. Cincinnati is just, they don't have the personnel, guys. They just don't. I know last year they played us close, but that was a different story. It's a different team. We have guys opting out. It's not going to be the case this year. If we played Cincinnati, I think we'd beat them by, I mean, three scores, right? I mean, at this point, we're three scores better than Cincinnati. I mean, I don't want to say it's a cakewalk. You can never assume anything. You got to go out there and play. You can't just roll your helmet out. I mean, Cincinnati's a good team. We should respect them. But if you're looking at the teams out there, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, uh, I guess maybe Alabama could be an option as well. I think Cincinnati is the one that, I would feel most confident heading into that game. I feel confident heading into most of those games against most of those teams. But I think Cincinnati would be the one that, just from a personnel standpoint, they just don't have the dudes. They just don't have the players. But yeah, Ohio State would be the one that I'd least want to face. Although I will say, like, I, let's just put this out there. I know Ohio State put about 700,000 yards against um, Michigan State through the air on Saturday. But let's not forget just what Charlie and I were talking about on the picks episode. If you missed that episode, what we were saying was, this is just a really bad matchup for Michigan State. Now, Charlie 
still pick Michigan State. I, I, I that was a Mel Tucker thing, I, I guess. And, she, and Charlie, she's biased. She hates Ohio State, so she was going to pick against them no matter what. But it was just a bad matchup for Michigan State. Michigan State, guys, was dead last in the country in pass defense coming into that game. Ohio State's was a top 10 pass offense. It was just a horrible, horrible matchup for Michigan State. So I know Ohio State put up 700,000 yards on them through the air, but that was always going to happen. Like that wasn't not going to happen. Michigan State's only chance was to score enough points to, to take to kind of win a shootout. And that, that's just not what Michigan State's really built to do. And so Ohio State put up big numbers. Now, did I see those kind of numbers coming? I didn't see like that much of a beat down, but I thought Ohio State would cover. I mean, I was at 19. I picked them to cover the spread. I thought they win by three plus scores. And obviously it ended up being the case. They won by more than I thought they would. But I mean, we got to put that in context. But Ohio State's still really good. Regardless, I know Michigan State was a great matchup for them, but they're still really, really good. A lot of weapons there. They concern me a little bit. Uh, but Cincinnati be the team that I would most want to face in the college football playoff. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, next question. Uh, this is a, a listener I don't think we've gotten a question from, so this, this is fun here. This is from Brent. Thanks for the question, Brent. Brent says, uh, I'm new to the show this season, but I'm hooked already. Thank you, man. I really appreciate the kind words there. Thank you for supporting the show, and hopefully we'll uh, convince you to stick around for a couple more years. But uh, Brent's asked, just in one season listening to the podcast, I know you have some serious hate for Dan Mullen. Yes, you got me. Is it that obvious? Uh, but personal feelings aside, do you think his firing is good news or bad news for Georgia and Kirby Smart? Great question. We got a bunch of questions about Dan Mullen, obviously, you know, with him getting fired and their program just going up in flames. But this is the one, I, we had to pick one of them, and I thought this was uh, the one that I, I thought would be the best one to discuss here on the show. And to answer this question, look, I know a lot of Georgia fans are giddy with the fact that Dan Mullen got fired, and I understand that, right? I, I as, as you said, Brent, I am a guy that has no love for Dan Mullen. I uh, have had a lot of fun mocking him relentlessly, making fun of him for the past couple of years. And I'm not a I'm not the kind of guy who likes to make fun of people. I'm really not. I don't like like the whole idea of like personal insults. That's just not something that I'm down with. That's why I'm not really good at, at Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff because I just don't really play that game. But Dan Mullen's the exception. And Charlie's gotten on to me about this a couple times, but he's the exception for me because he brings it on himself. He tries to troll and he's really bad at it. And when you try to troll, then to me, it's open season on you. So Dan Mullen, look, I understand why people are excited he got fired and happy he got fired because, you know, he kind of deserved it. He's, he's a clown. That's the nicest thing I can say. He's a clown. I don't want to go any further than that. The dude's a clown and he deserved what he got, 100%. He brought it on himself. And I will also say it's really gratifying 
on some level. Like you typically don't like to see, I don't like to see anyone lose their job, but like when you're talking about Dan Mullen's getting a $12 million buyout, I mean, he's out there trying to troll people left and right throughout his entire career of Florida. So I don't really, I have no sympathy for Dan Mullen. I really don't. And usually I do in situations like this, but I don't. You're getting $12 million. You're already a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. You brought this on yourself. I don't feel sorry for you whatsoever. What's kind of gratifying for me though, is not so much that he got fired, is that you got to see this year, the national cultural media, all those national talking heads out there who have carried the water for Dan Mullen, who have been Dan Mullen stands since day one, who have perpetuated this ridiculous, fallacious narrative that Dan Mullen was a superior coach to Kirby Paul Smart. It's so gratifying. It was so gratifying all year long. You saw it bit by bit. Their eyes start to open. They awaken to the idea, to the reality that, oh yeah, we're wrong. He's not that good of a coach. I've been saying all along, he's a great offensive mind, fantastic offensive mind. But in terms of running a program, of actually doing what a head coach has to do to win at a high level of college football, you know, from a structural standpoint, building the culture of your program, recruiting, which, you know, people always want to dismiss Kirby, say, oh, he's just a recruiter. Guess what, guys? That recruiter is number one in the country right now. Why? Because he's recruited. And, oh yeah, he's also developed that talent as well. So to see that realization kind of dawn on the collective college football media, and also Kirby Smart start to get a little bit more respect. Now people are starting to realize, oh wait, like Kirby's not just like recruiting five stars. He also can evaluate talent and develop that talent. Guys like Jordan Davis, who were kind of afterthoughts in the recruiting process, no one was really paying them any attention, and he finds them, he signs them, and he develops them. Guys like A.D. Mitchell, guys like Lad McConkey, huh, maybe Kirby Smart is just a little bit better than we thought. Maybe Dan Mullen's not who we thought. We've been saying it here all along, guys, on the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but Dan Mullen has been this. He's been this guy that he's been this year, his entire career at Florida. So it's been very gratifying for me to see other people out there outside of our fan base recognize this. Because people just kind of dismiss this. Oh, you're just being Georgia fans. You're just being rivals, right? This is just what you do. You have to hate on the, the head coach of your rival school. No, it's not really necessarily about that. I mean, yeah, he's the head coach of our rival school or was the head coach of our rival school. But just call it what it is. Dan Mullen was a really good offensive mind, but a joke of a head coach, a joke of a human being. That's who Dan Mullen is. He's just a really cringy dude that could dial up some plays on offense, but had no idea how to build and sustain a program. And it's just played out like that. Now, I can't say that I, I, I foresaw this where they're probably not going to make a ball. I mean, I think they're going to lose to Florida State. I do. I think they're going to lose to Florida State. And that means they're not going to make a ball game. I didn't see that kind of collapse this year. And it's crazy to think that this is a team that was for a while there contending for a national title last season. They gave Bama a really good game. But ever since that point, the bottom has just fallen out in that program. I mean, it's been a free fall just to, to think that they went from where they were last year, most of last season until the very end, to potentially not making a bowl game this year. I did not see that coming. I didn't think they would be great this year. I thought they'd be about, I think I predicted eight and four. I didn't see potentially five and seven, six and six. But that's just a, a really, really big fall from grace in one season. It, it, you haven't seen something like that in a while. I guess you could say Ed O, but was it that quick? I guess it was that quick. You win a national title. But then you had the COVID year, so some kind of some context there. But yeah, I mean, those are two guys, Ed O and, and Dan Mullen, who have had these absurdly fast fall from graces. But anyway, back to the original question. 
Is it a good thing or bad thing for Georgia that Dan Mullen got fired? To me, it's pretty obvious. This is not a good thing. This is not a good thing for us. Because as long as Dan Mullen was there at Florida, and that's what I've been saying the past couple of years, as long as Dan Mullen's at Florida, Kirby Smart was going to own that program. We were going to own them. I think we still will own them for a while here, but it really kind of depends on who they hire. And getting rid of Dan Mullen opens up the possibility that they could make a really good hire that could really leverage and maximize the resources and inherent advantages at Florida's disposal, specifically when it comes to recruiting in that incredibly fertile hotbed for recruiting that is the state of Florida. Now, Scott Strickland could get this hire wrong. He is the guy who hired Dan Mullen, after all. He could very well get this hire wrong. But if he gets this hire right and hires somebody off the Kirby Smart, Nick Saban tree that really knows how to build a program from the inside out and understands the importance of recruiting and actually can go out there and recruit, that concerns me. A guy like Mel Tucker concerns me. I know that he's, I guess, locked up now in Michigan State with a big deal, but I mean, it's a contract. I'm sure he can probably get some sort of buyout. I'm sure he could probably get out of that if he wanted to. A guy like that, that understands how to build programs the way that Kirby Smart builds programs and knows how to recruit and knows how important that is and knows the structure that needs to be in place to actually recruit at that kind of level, that is the kind of coach that would concern me. Now, we don't know who it's going to be right now. Um, the name you're hearing a lot of right now is Bill Napier out of uh, Louisiana, who is a guy from the Saban coaching tree. Coach of Saban, coach of Kirby Smart at Alabama. And I don't think he is Kirby Smart, but he's a guy that I do have respect for, and I think he would do a really good job at Florida. Now, the question becomes, does Florida want a guy that's coming from a group of five program like that, or they want an established head coach at the power five level? I don't know what the criteria is. I don't know what they're going to be looking for, but if they get a guy like that, that concerns me because that's why we'll be able to pull so far ahead of Florida is that Kirby Smart has just been recruiting circles around Dan Mullen for years now. And the talent gap is significant. And that's not going to turn around in one or two cycles. We have pulled away from them so considerably that whoever comes in and takes that job, it's going to take a little while for them, even if they are an ace recruiter like Kirby, it's going to take a while for them to build that roster back up to our level where they're able to actually consistently compete with us on the field of play. So I think in the short term, we are still going to dominate that rivalry. But if they hire the right guy, give them a couple years, and that rivalry can become a lot more competitive. Now, I don't ever think Florida, as long as Kirby Smart's here, we're never going to go back to the 90s, you know, when Steve Spurrier won his run and we just could never beat Florida. That's not going to happen. We're always going to be one of the two or three most talented teams in the country every single year, as long as Kirby Smart is our coach. That is never going to change. That's what this guy is built to do. We are always going to have the personnel. We're always going to have the talent because he is a madman on the recruiting trail, and he demands that all of his assistant coaches and all the recruiting personnel that aren't on-field coaches be recruiting madmen and mad women as well. So that's never going to change. But if you get a, a guy at four that has the same mindset, and recruits at a similar level, well, then obviously it's going to become a lot more competitive on the field. We might not, you know, reel off three, four, five, six in a row and beat them by, you know, four touchdowns on the field on a, on a consistent basis. But I, I never think that Florida is going to go back to what it was in the 90s, at least not while Kirby Smart's here. So yeah, I again, go back to answer the question. I don't think it's a great thing. I, I wish that they would have kept Dan Mullen forever because as, as long as Dan Mullen was going to be there, we were going to dominate that program and the talent gap was going to continue to grow and grow and grow, and grow. And also, just on a personal note, it sucks that I don't have him to kind of make fun of anymore. It's just so easy. It was so gratifying making fun of Dan Mullen because, again, he brought it on himself. Just the insane lack of self-awareness and the cringy behavior, the cringy comments. It was just 
too hard to pass up. So on that level, on a personal level, I will miss that. Okay, on to the next question here. Let's get off the Dan Mullen train, a little bit off the playoff train, and let's talk some Georgia football, some Georgia-specific stuff here. And Dalton has a good question. He asks, who of all the deep bench players that played against Charleston Southern were you most impressed with? My main standout was DJ Daniel. I thought the kid was playing with a chip on his shoulder. Every snap he got, he showed me some good things. Yeah, Dalton, it's a great question. I mean, we touched on this a little bit on the recap episode. I actually mentioned DJ Daniel there. I know you sent this question before you had a chance to listen to that. But yeah, DJ Daniel, great call. I totally agree. That guy was flying around. Closing speed was fantastic. And he was bringing the wood when he arrived at the ball. I love what I saw from him. I think he's going to be a big-time contender for one of those starting positions at safety next year. I think that guy is going to be a big-time player for us. And we've had a really good run of safeties here, whether it's Richard LeCount, Lewis Seen, uh, Chris Smith has done a really good job for us the past year and a half. And I think DJ Daniel is going to continue that kind of play at the safety position. Another guy that I, I really like, I think I mentioned him on the recap episode, Warren Brinson. Warren Brinson's a guy that really showed me some athleticism when he played on Saturday against Charleston Southern. And look, I, I know it's Charleston Southern. You don't want to draw any kind of crazy definitive conclusions off of a game like that. But when you see a guy play and he's kind of running around out there, you can get a feel for what this guy is going to bring to the table. And Warren Brinson's played a little bit in his career at this point, but nothing extensively. And he's a guy that I think can be a factor for us next year. He's a really athletic interior defensive lineman with a positional versatility, even side outside and play the five tech. I mean, there were a couple of plays against Charleston Southern where he was just kind of literally chasing their mobile quarterback around in the in the backfield. Uh, the quarterback was doing like the Bo Nicks, like oop-de-oop back there. And Brinson was chasing him step for step. He showed really great change of direction. He was also really strong at the point of attack. For a guy that I do think needs to continue to get bigger and stronger at the point of attack, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, an overmatched Charleston Southern team. But I was really impressed with what I saw from him, especially from an athleticism standpoint. So yeah, those two guys, DJ Daniel, Warren Brinson, two guys that really flashed to me against Charleston Southern. All right, next up, we're going to go with some recruiting questions. I kind of lumped these all together here for it. just made sense to me. And we're going to start with a question from Guy. Appreciate the question, Guy. Uh, and Guy says, they just checked in on the recruiting. What's up with all the three-star offensive linemen and wide receivers? I can live with some slot wide receivers being three stars, but I'm worried about the offensive line. Didn't we live through enough three-star lines with Coach Griggs? Is this Matt Luke's preference or is he losing on the trail? Yeah, it's a good question, guys. It's a fair question. I understand the consternation there because we like to see those five stars next to our recruits' names because that's kind of what we're accustomed to. But I think there's some context there. If you look at some of the guys that we have committed on the offensive line, Alu Baz, the guy that we flipped from IMG Academy a couple of weeks back, he was previously committed to Florida State. Yes, he's a three-star right now, ranked number 369 nationally. But this guy, if you watch him play and you look at the offer sheet he has, he's a much better player than that. Sometimes, and I know... It's hard for these analysts to go out there and see every player in the country. Sometimes guys slip through the cracks. And you don't, you don't want to sit here and say every time that we take a three-star, oh, it's one of those guys that slip through the cracks. Maybe sometimes we just took a flyer in a guy. But Alu Ba, if you watch him play and you look, again, look at who offered him, where he was committed to previously. I mean, he had offers from, obviously, Georgia. He was committed to Florida State, uh, Alabama, Arizona State, Arkansas, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, USC, the list goes on and on. So yeah, I know it says three-star next to his name. He's a better player than that. And there's also a guy that we're about to land here. I feel very strong that he's going to be on the commit list here sooner rather than later. And that's Ernest Green from California. He is a top 50 player nationally. 
and we have been training with him for a little while now, and I think it's you know just a matter of time. He might be a signing day guy that commits on signing day, but I feel really good about where we are with him right now. So that will certainly help things out there. Jacob puts another guy out of Tennessee that we've been really high on. He's another guy, three-star, th- number 391. He is committed to us, has been since, I think, August. But he's another guy that has a lot of big-time offers. You know, Auburn, Miami, those kind of schools. So I think you also have to understand that last year was a very different year with COVID. And the rankings this year, guys, are screwed up. They're just, like I guess the top 100 guys, you can feel pretty good about. There's just can't-miss guys. But when you get to like those three, the three-star range where it's like fringe three, four-star guys, there are just so many guys that did not get seen last year. And it kind of just slipped through the cracks. Some of them didn't even have football seasons last year. And they didn't have the camps. Some of the camps have come back this year, but not to the degree that they that they were last year. So the rankings this year are just the most inaccurate set of rankings that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not saying they didn't get it right on some of these guys, but they're just a lot of guys where it's like, man, I don't understand why you are ranked where you are ranked. And there's also these big divergences between the different recruiting services, like Rivals and 247. And that happens from time to time, but there are some pretty big gaps between some of these guys. Like Jaheim Singletary, the guy that we just landed, 247 and Rivals are very, very far apart in how they rank him. 247 sees him like a, as like a top, a fringe top 100 guy, and Rivals has him like a top 10 guy. So there's just a, a gap in how these, these recruiting services are viewing players because they just haven't seen as much and they don't have the data to work with. So I just wouldn't put as much stock into those rankings this year as maybe you would in a normal year. And I I just trust the coaches' evaluations. This year, I think coaching evaluations are going to be more important than anything. Getting these guys on campus, working them out, and if you like what you see, you offer the guy. I know what we did with a guy like A.D. Mitchell. You get him in the camp, he works out for you, you see something you like, and you don't care what the recruiting services say. You say, this guy can play for me, we're going to sign him, and then, oh yeah, as a true freshman, he's a starting wide receiver for you. So I'm not saying our coaches get every single evaluation right, but I think at this point, especially this year, trust their evaluations. Don't put as much stock into those stars next to the names. It's just all messed up this year. Put some stock into Kirby Smart and his staff and their evaluations. I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to that over the past couple years. Okay, let's go with another recruiting question. This is actually regarding the most recent news on the recruiting trail as five-star cornerback Jaheim Singletary has committed to the G and Corey says, you nailed it that Jaheim Singletary would be our next commitment. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate you giving us a shout out there. We, we did a recruiting mailbag episode last week going in Charleston Southern in lieu of doing a Charleston Southern preview episode that I know no one wanted to listen to. And one of the questions we got was, who do I think will be the next commitment? And Jaheim Singletary was the guy that was first in my mind there. So I appreciate you uh, giving us a shout out there, Corey, definitely. Uh, But Corey asks, what is Singletary's ceiling as a player and who would you compare him to from previous Georgia teams? Is he Baker, Stokes, Campbell, or someone else? Well, Singletary is an awesome player. Um, He's a guy that's 6'2". He's a little thin right now. He's about 170, 175 pounds, but this guy is off the charts athletic. He's got insane ball skills. He could play receiver for us if he wanted to. He also has ridiculous body control, which I think is really important for a cornerback. Guy's got to change directions as frequently as cornerbacks do. He does need to bulk up, get a little stronger at the point of attack. I don't know if he's ready to play a bunch of press man coverage like we like to at this point, but that's something that can come with time. But he has all the skill sets you would want. He's got great length. Again, he's six foot two. He's a guy that I think could come in and really push to take one of those cornerback spots next year. I mean, Keeley's probably got one locked up. 
being the starter this year, the incumbent starter, but Darian Kendrick's going to be gone. That spot's going to be open. Now, we have some guys out there that are currently on the team. Kamari Lasser, Javon Bullard, Nyland Green, who hasn't played a ton this year. I think he's been dealing with a little bit of an injury. We have some bodies out there, but we need more of them. And Jaheim Singletary might be the most physically gifted of all of those guys. Now, will he be behind from like a knowledge standpoint? Yeah, of course, absolutely. But sometimes your talent can just compensate for that. So I think he'll certainly push for that. I would like to see him be a little bit bigger. Now, in terms of a comp, I don't like a comp from our previous teams. He's not DeAndre Baker. He's not quite that thick. I think he moves better than Baker did. I think he has better ball skills than Baker did. And Baker had really good ball skills as well. Stokes, um, he's not quite as fast, like in a straight line as Stokes. I think he changes direction better. I think he has better body control. He's longer than Stokes. Campbell is the one that I think is the best comp in terms of like the length. But again, Campbell was just built better and just built differently than Singletary right now. And Campbell just didn't ha quite have that level of ball skills. I think maybe the closest, well, I don't know. Keely Ringo's tall and long, but he's also built really well for a guy that size. Honestly, I don't know if there is like a, a perfect comp. I think he's kind of a mix of some of those guys. He's really tall and lanky. So maybe like Damian Swan in some regard, if you remember that name for a couple years back. And I know Damian wasn't like super tall, but he was, he kind of has a similar like build, just thin, lanky, long arms, was really fluid out there. Now, Swan wasn't like the fastest guy, but he was really, really fluid in coverage. He moved really well. Singletary's faster, but he kind of moves that way. He kind of just glides out there when he's, when he's playing on the football field. So maybe something like that. And I think Keely Ringo has really good ball skills as well. So maybe a cross between like a Damian Swan and Keely Ringo, something like that off the top of my head. So yeah, we'll go with that. All right, next up, we've got a question from a longtime listener. Jonathan, always appreciate it, buddy. And Jonathan's got another recruiting question for us. He asked me, who are your top five favorite recruits this cycle, regardless of where they are going or leaning or ranked? Mine are Travis Hunter, Jaden Gibson, Branson Robinson, Kamari Wilson, and Harold Perkins? That's a really good question. That's a tough one for me to answer because to be honest with you, Jonathan, I haven't watched tape of all of the guys in the class. That's all the guys in the top 100. I've generally speaking, watched the tape of the guys that we are recruiting, that we are heavily involved with. But I can say with absolute certainty that I 1 million percent agree with you on the guy that you had number one on your list. Travis Hunter is the best player in the country. It sucks that he's not coming to Georgia and he's not going to come to Georgia. He's going to go to Florida State. It's a Florida State legacy. He's a lot of family from that area and has some ties to that school. And uh, he's listened. He's been here. He's visited a couple times, but I'm certainly just not holding my breath on that one. If he somehow ends up in this class and we pull that epic flip, man, I mean, it might be the biggest flip in Kirby Smart's history. Um, I wouldn't put it past him, I guess. But right now, I think Hunter's really locked in with Florida State. But he's the best player that I've seen. I've actually watched him since he's a local Georgia guy. He's not too far from here. I'm from Gwinnett County. He's from Gwinnett County. He plays at Collins Hill. I've seen him play a couple times in the past couple years, and he's the real deal, man. He can play cornerback. He can play receiver. I, I'd be really tempted to play him a receiver. I, I think he might want to play cornerback long term because I think he sees that as his future at uh, the NFL level, but man, he is so electric with the ball in his hands. It'd be really, really tough to not play him at receiver. But that guy, as far as guys that I've seen, he's the best player in the country. A couple other guys that, that I'm really high on, I really do like Travis Shaw, who is a 6'5", 310-pound. I, mean, I think he's a true nose guard. He's a defensive lineman. He's a guy that we recruit really heavily. It's basically down to us, North Carolina and Clemson. He's from the state of North Carolina. 
and he ended up staying home with the Tar Heels. Now, I guess we could still try to flip him, but I think getting Bear Alexander back in the fold kind of mitigated that to a degree. But Travis Shaw is a stud on the defensive line. I think he was a guy that's kind of just tailor-made, just built to be that replacement for Jordan Davis. So that one kind of stung for me. He's got that I really, really, really want in this class. I do also agree with you on Harold Perkins. You guys know I'm a linebacker guy. Um, it's what I used to play. It's what I used to coach. And uh, I love Harold Perkins. This is a guy going to Texas A&M that is legit. I mean, that guy can flat out play. He's got great speed. He flies around. He hits. He brings the wood when he hits you, man. Um, great athleticism. Just He's going to be a big-time player for Texas A&M. So I do agree with that one as well. I'm going to go to our commit list. And call me a homer if you want. I love Malachi Starks. I absolutely love Malachi Starks. Again, I haven't seen all the players in the top 100. I've watched a lot of tape Malachi Starks. I've seen this guy play in person. And this guy's a stud, man. He is a freaking stud. Talk about a guy that could play both ways. Those players don't really exist anymore. They don't really do that. But he has that kind of like Champ Bailey level ability to, to play offense and defense. He's going to play defense for us. He's going to, probably going to play safety or the star position. I don't think he's a really a true cornerback. But he's a guy that is just a monster with a ball in his hands as well. I love him. He's explosive. He's physical, big, strong, fast, all that. Everything you'd want in a, in a defensive player, that's Malachi Stars. That guy's a stud. So I'd have him in my top five. You know what? What the heck? If, if I'm going to be a homer, if people are going to call me a homer for this, then uh, let's just go all in on it. I'm going to go Michael Williams. Again, haven't seen every player in the top 100. Haven't watched all their tape. Haven't watched their games. I'm zeroed in on the Georgia guys, the guys that we're recruiting, the guys that we're trying to land. And Michael Williams is a monster. He's got positional versatility. He could play outside linebacker. I think if we really need him to in certain situations, he's got that kind of athleticism. I think he's probably going to fit more as a five-tech guy, but he's going to be a very, very athletic five-tech, a la Trayvon Walker. That's going to allow us to do a lot of different things with him. That versatility is going to be really, really valuable to our defense moving forward i mean he's a, he's a dominant edge rusher and it's not just like you know out athleting people out physically them which is bigger stronger and faster than the guys he's going against all that's true yes but he's actually pretty technically sound for a guy at this stage a lot of times you just don't see guys like that that can that can just dominate with just athleticism and strength you don't see them like use proper technique all the time but he does for the most part he uses his hands really well plays with good leverage understands how to disengage from blockers I really like Michael Williams, and with our need at edge rusher next year, man, I'm telling you, Michael Williams is going to factor in, especially if Trayvon Walker decides to go pro, which I think there's a good chance it's going to happen right now. Michael Williams could certainly be a, an impact true freshman for us next year. So yeah, I'll go Michael Williams. I'll go Malachi Starks from our commit list. I'll go Travis Shaw, Travis Hunter, and I'll also go Harold Perkins as well. Those are my top five based off who I've seen. I haven't seen everybody, but those are the, the top five that I've seen. Okay, this next question is our last actual question. We've got a couple more questions that we're going to hold to later on in the week about the Alabama game. I want to put those all together. We're going to do kind of a combo tech preview slash SEC championship game. Very, 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 very early preview as well. So I'm going to hold some of those. Um, but the last like real question we can get to is from our very good friend Cliff, who asked a very simple question, but I think it's a great question. Which is the better head coaching job, the Gators or the Bayou Bengals? And Cliff and I, we were kind of going back and forth a little bit about this on Twitter. He made some great points, um, but I'm going to go LSU. I would take the L if I'm a coach, and Charlie and I were actually discussing this last week. If I am a coach and I have my choice of jobs, jobs available to me. I'm, I'm the hot name on the market, 
and you've got LSU, USC, Florida, Virginia Tech, all these great jobs that are open right now, and they all want me. They're all basically going to give me a blank check. Whatever I want, I got it. Just name my price. I'm going to pick LSU out of all of those jobs. All right, and I know I know USC is a whole different animal. We're not really going to include them in this conversation because Cliff's question here is about Florida and LSU. I think LSU is a better job. I understand that Florida per capita has more high-level five-star, four-star football players. I get that. I understand that Florida is probably the best recruiting state in the country, but Louisiana ain't that far off, guys. Especially from a per capita standpoint, they produce a ton of high-level players from the state of Louisiana. And here's the thing. Those players that come out of Louisiana, because it's all about players. As Kirby said all year, and I've been saying for years and years and years, getting the players is the number one criteria for winning. It really comes down to a couple things. It's about personnel. It's about developing that personnel and about deploying that personnel. All those three things matter. All three of those matter. But I think getting the players is the most important part of that. And the players in the state of Louisiana have more built-in home state pride than those players in Florida do. They just tend, I don't have numbers in front of me to back this up, but if you just look at it historically, if you follow recruit as closely as I have, those guys tend to stay home at a higher rate than a lot of other states like Florida, Texas, some of those states, right? Those places, especially California. I mean, California, I know they have a ton of talent out there, but those guys are leaving that state left and right because nobody wants to play in the freaking Pac-12. Those kids in Louisiana, they stay home. The home state pride is a real thing. Let's just take Mason Smith from the last recruiting cycle, for example. We were heavily involved in this recruitment. For a minute there, I thought we were going to be able to swing it. I thought we were able to, going to be able to pull him out of Louisiana. It was really down to us and LSU is basically what happened at the end of that cycle. But ultimately, he ended up staying home at LSU. It, the call to stay home is just stronger for those kids. And plus, on top of that, you have zero in-state Power 5 rivals. So you have this great pool of recruiting talent, especially per capita, they're more naturally inclined to stay home and you don't have a power five rival in state to contend with. Whereas you go Florida, I know Florida's a good job. Florida's a great recruiting state. I understand that. I mean, it's, a, it's a top five-ish level job. But at Florida, you've got Florida State, you've got Miami, you've got Georgia and Alabama and every other big SEC school doing everything they possibly can to dip into your state and doing it with a lot of success. And think about the success that we've had recruiting the state of Florida. I mean, Jaheim Singletary just got Jaheim, Jaheim Singletary from the state of Florida. I mean, we recruit Florida almost as well as we do the state of Georgia. And again, those kids just don't have that built-in home state pride. Maybe you can say like the kids down in Miami like to stay home in Miami. I think that used to be the case down in South Florida, but certainly not as much anymore. They just don't have that built-in pride to play for the 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 flagship university. They don't really care about saying, oh yeah, I'm a five-star player. I'm going to stay home for sure and play at Florida. Not the way that they do in Louisiana with LSU. You just don't have that. Plus, like Florida guys, like they don't really institutionally commit to their athletic department, like into their programs. I mean, they're behind in a pretty big way when it comes to facilities, and it's been that way for a long time. And the fan base just isn't that strong and rabid. I mean, it's a SEC fan base, so it's all relative. But compared to the LSU fan base and the support that you give me, Florida, they are literally downsizing their stadiums. I mean, like by 15,000 seats or something like that. At least that's the plan right now because they can't sell it out. That's not happening at Tiger Stadium. Now, I know they're, they're both like pressure cookers. They both have these coaches. Because I know some people would point at Florida and say, well, 
they just fired Dan Mullen after one bad season. Like, why would you want to take that job? And I agree. Like, this guy, I mean, making fun of him like we do on the show is a lot of fun. But he was, you know, all, by all accounts, successful there except for this one year. Now, he wasn't as successful as his biggest rival in Georgia. And I think that's part of the problem. And he also just didn't build up any equity because he's just an absolute fool of a human being. And he really kind of just grated on people's nerves, even within their administration. But what, three straight New Year's Six Bowls? And you have one bad year and you're gone. Now, part of that is because, again, he had no equity built up and they just want to get rid of the guy and they were looking for an excuse to do it and it happened. And the same thing happened with LSU, although there's context there. LSU, you know, with Coach O, I mean, there's a lot of off-the-field stuff going on there that made it much easier to fire him. Plus, he didn't have that kind of equity built up when he took the job. It was kind of like, hey, we're just going to give you the job as a gift almost. So no one really thought he was that great of a head coach when he got the job and then he wins national title, but people didn't really give him credit for winning the national title. It was more so like, hey, you did a really good job of hiring coordinators and you got Joe Burrow as a grad transfer, so good for you. But it wasn't really like he was getting all the credit for that like Nick Saban would when he wins national titles. But they're both pressure cookers. They both have high expectations, and you're going to have to win there, and there's not going to be a ton of patience in the fan bases. But I just think LSU, you don't have as much competition for those in-state, those elite in-state Louisiana kids, and there's a bunch of them, guys, more than you would think. I know Louisiana is not the most populous state, but per capita, they're up there, man. They're maybe not quite top five, but they're just hanging around the top five in terms of producing big-time high school football talent. You have no competition in-state. You have these kids that want to stay home. And, I mean, look, this is better food, all right? I mean, got to factor that in too, right? I mean, I'd much rather have that Cajun food. Give me that jambalaya. I don't want to live in Florida. I don't want to live in Gainesville, Florida. I mean, Baton Rouge is not great either. Don't get me wrong, but at least the food's good. So, yeah, give me LSU. That's where I'd go. Okay, guys, before we get out of here, I do have one more thing that I want to bring up on the show today. It's not really so much a question as it is a statement rooted in some serious research. So that's why I saved it for last. It kind of didn't fit with the other questions. But Christopher Vickers, want to give a shout out here, man. This is awesome. He's one of our listeners, and he emailed me this uh, about a week ago about a topic that has annoyed him as much as it has annoyed me, and I'm sure as much as it has annoyed a lot of you out there. And that is this narrative that Georgia's defensive stats are inflated because we have not played anyone. You know, the idea of like, just wait till they play someone, you know, I don't, I don't really trust that defense. And are they really that good? You know, people are just trying to bring us down to where they can to kind of, you know, negate all the things that we've done this year. And so Christopher did a deep dive into that narrative and put together a really awesome spreadsheet with uh, some great numbers, really awesome professional stuff. And I just want to share this with some of you guys, because I know just some of our interactions on social media with all of you guys out there, some of the questions that have been sent in. I know a lot of you kind of share the frustrations that Christopher has had and that I have had when it comes to people kind of just downgrading and denigrating our defense, saying, oh, they just haven't played anybody. They're not really that good. And so just let me read off some of these numbers, give you a taste of the research and the effort that Christopher put in this. This is great stuff. So he has this spreadsheet laid out game by game. And what he's done is he's looked at the number of points that we have held teams to, the, the opposing offenses, and he's looked at how many points they've scored against other teams outside of Georgia and kind of done the point differential, the percent drop. He's also looked at where those opposing offenses were ranked in points per game in all their other games outside of the game they played against us. And then after they played us, what that dropped their rank to. Look at the rank differential and the percent drop. So some really great numbers here. A couple of them that stand out to me. Look at Florida. Okay, Florida, for example. So Florida's average on the year, 36.4 points. We held them to seven. So that is an 81% drop based off their their total offense or their 
points per game numbers against everyone else not named Georgia. Coming into our game, they're 15th nationally against all the other teams they played in points per game score. Against us, after they played us, they dropped all the way to 31st nationally. That means that's a 107% drop in one week after they played us and we hold them to seven points. I think Arkansas is another really good one. This is the same Arkansas team that put up 35 points against Alabama on the road here just uh, a couple of days ago. And so obviously we shut out Arkansas. We held them to zero points. They are averaging 34.3 points per game in all the other games they played. That is a 100% drop. And if you look at their rank when it comes to points per game nationally, they were, they're 26 nationally if you take out their game against us where we shut them out. You factor in our game, that drops them to 51st nationally. That's a 96% overall drop. And if you look at the total numbers, this is everyone that we play. He's got this up-to-date, uh, including the Tennessee game. He doesn't have Charleston Southern there, but he has the Tennessee game in there. He's updated it. So we're giving up, on average, 7.6 points per game. All the teams that we have played to this point, those offenses against teams not named Georgia are averaging 30.7 points per game. That is a 23.1 point differential. That's a 76% drop. What that means is we are allowing teams to score 76% fewer points per game against us than they are against everyone else. So I was just really impressed with the research, the effort, the dedication that Christopher put in this. I want to give him a shout out here. And I know a lot of you are annoyed about this as we have been, as Christopher has been, as I have been. And so I just want to share that with you guys, give you some context there, give you some numbers. So if you're sitting around the water cooler, if you're having Thanksgiving meal with family members and there's some non-Georgia members in your family, God bless you, hope that's not the case. And they want to talk trash, they want to try to bring us down, say that we haven't played anybody, that's why our defense numbers are great. Well, there are some numbers to back you up and give you a little bit of ammunition heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. But all right, guys, thank you so much for listening and sticking out with me here today on this solo episode. I know, I know, we would much rather have Charlie here. I apologize, she couldn't make it. We just couldn't work it out today. But she will be back for our picks of the week at the end of the week. But thanks for listening, guys. I'm Tyler, and as always, go dog.